Welcome to What Christians Should Know, hosted by Dr. Elijah Sadoffel. This podcast equips you with clarity and meaningful answers about God, the Bible, and your Christian life. Now, here's Dr. Sadoffel. All right, everyone, good morning. Let's all turn to Romans chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, and then we'll pray and get started. All right, let's stand to pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you in the Holy Spirit through our mediator, Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the gift of spiritual life, and we thank you for the gift of natural life, that we may sit under your word and your teaching today to meditate on and to process, O Lord, your word, which once we hear it, we entreat you by your grace to deposit it into our hearts that will illuminate and transform our minds and allow us all to be maximally fruitful so that you, O Lord, will be maximally glorified by the men and women who not only know, but therein live your truth each and every day. In the name of our Lord and our Savior, we pray. Amen. Amen. So Romans chapter 1, verses 7 to 8, the Apostle Paul now enters into a new section of his epistle where he now makes a personal introduction and he says, to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. Now before we dive into verse number eight, there were two things I wanted to go back over from last time. So last time we said that not only do we absolutely need God to show us how to love, to show us what real love is, and therein to show us how to love. We're going to go even further and say, without God, love doesn't actually matter. Let's say that again. Without God, love doesn't actually matter. When my wife and I were in South Africa, Cape Town, which is the, the big city in western South Africa, gorgeous, beautiful. We met a couple there who retired, had a little shop on a hill where they basically spent their days rescue, feeding, rescuing, and caring for stray animals. And we said, Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so, why do you do this? And they would say, this is our life's calling because we love the animals. Because there's something that tugs on our hearts that compels and draws us to show compassion to these animals. Now, why am I telling you the story? Because here you have two natural people who are expressing a type of love 
who are expressing a type of self-sacrifice towards subordinate, finite creatures. But these are two individuals now who have an entire worldview that's distinct from, that's detached from, that's separated from God. Now let's zoom out. If you were now to have a couple whose entire life is focused on loving animals, and that entire life now is detached from God who is love, in the end, in eternity, does that love actually matter? It doesn't. Because it's not a love that's focused on God. It's not a love that's derived from God. It's not a love that in any way, shape, or form embraces the eternal God who is king and reigning over the universe. And when Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so stand before their maker and they say, but Lord, we spent our entire lives caring after and loving animals, God will simply say, I never knew you. And I told that story. I took the long way around to re-emphasize and double down on the point that without God, love doesn't actually matter. The other thing I want to go back and speak about is the idea of peace. The Apostle Paul writes a benediction where he tells the people, grace and peace to you. God demonstrates ultimately his grace through his son who died on a cross for us, and now the grace that flows from God the Father through Christ to us for all, for all who are now in Jesus Christ, we are at peace with God because of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. This is a perpetual, organic, positive peace. And this is the important point to understand. When a child of God is in Jesus Christ, the reason why God never rattles his sword of judgment whenever one of his own does something wrong is because of the peace that we have with God through Jesus Christ. At the end of Psalm number 7, David writes, if a man does not repent, and if anyone's ever read the end of Psalm number 7, those are violent verses. It talks about God wetting his sword, getting his bow ready, about to fire. That talks about someone who is not at peace with God. They are at war with God because they are not in the Savior. They are not in the Redeemer. But for someone now who has saving faith in Jesus Christ, when God now looks at that person, the first thing he sees is not our sin. He sees the Son. He sees where Jesus was pierced, and he sees the robes of righteousness that Jesus now imputes to us so that now, for those who are the recipients of God's grace and now express faith in Jesus and hold on to him, because there is a positive peace now with God, God does not rattle the sword and God does not throw down lightning bolts from heaven for those who are his, who now commit a sin, and who now make a transgression against God. That peace is eternal, that peace is everlasting, and that peace is eternally secured through Jesus Christ. For in Luke chapter 2, when the heavenly messengers told the shepherds 
that Christ was born. They said, we bring good news of great joy, for today in the city of David, a Savior is born, and now on earth there will be peace among men with whom God is pleased. God was not pleased with those men because of the men. God was now pleased with those men because of the Savior, because Christ was now here, through whom we are the recipients of grace and now have peace with God our Father. Any questions? Yes? We're God's children, right? Oh, one more thing, one more thing. So, one second. The thing I forgot to mention is that, and the best news is this, the peace of God can never be revoked. So once you are at peace with God through Jesus Christ, you are always at peace. Why? Because of Christ. Because of what he did is eternally efficient and eternally effectual. A man or a woman never becomes, never has positive peace with God and then God withdraws it and actually unleashes a sword. Doesn't work like that. What God decrees will stand forever. So through Christ, because he is living and eternal, once at peace with God, always at peace with God. Sorry to cut you off. Please continue. No, sorry. Um, you are children, right? Correct. So if we do wrong, we will... And what doctrine tells us that we are children of God? The doctrine of... Justification. No. The doctrine of justification says we are declared righteous. After now we are justified and declared righteous, the doctrine of adoption now says that we are now incorporated into the family of God. And let me just add this, salt flavoring on the doctrine of, a doctrine, of adoption. There's only one thing that a man or a woman can do that actually imitates God, and that's adoption. Can a man or a woman regenerate someone? Nope. Can a man or a woman justify someone? Nope. Can a man or a woman sanctify someone? Nope. Can a man or a woman resurrect someone? Nope. Can a man or a woman glorify someone? Nope. But a husband and a wife, what they can do is adopt someone. They can adopt a child who's not theirs, who's alien, who's foreign to them, and then by, by desiring to show to that child love and grace, they now incorporate them into a family that's not their own and now love and treat their child as if they are theirs even though they're not. So the natural uh, dynamic of adoption gives us a key insight into the love of God. I'm way off field there. Sorry, please continue. I had a question. <laughs> the wheels were turning, so I had to let it go. Well, so. I understand. Uh, so if we do wrong, correct. We will correct us. Correct. Yes, and to take it even further, any good father, any good mother will correct, will chastise their child. When we get to Psalm number 10 next, 
Psalm number 10 talks about people who are apostates, people who basically knew God and then turn away from him. And they're committing all this wickedness and iniquity, and they seem to think that God approves of what they're doing because God is leaving them alone. And one of the most dangerous things God could ever do in this world is to leave you alone. So if you are broken into a thousand pieces because God himself whips you or God himself corrects you, God is now correcting you in order to save you from yourself and putting yourself in a situation where you can now expose yourself to greater danger. So out of God's love, he chastises his own children. Okay, so now we'll move on to Romans chapter 1, verse 8, where Paul writes, first, now there's no second or third, he says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. Paul thanks God that he's writing Romans. Paul thanks God that there is a church in Rome to write to. And of course, Paul thanks God because God is the one who authored all of this. The Roman emperor didn't author any of this. The apostle Peter didn't author any of this. The people in Rome did not author their own salvation. Hence, the first thing Paul says is, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. Paul thanks God for who the people in the church at Rome are. He doesn't thank them or anyone else. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1, verse 8, is giving thanks. He's giving thanks because he is thankful. He is thankful, number one, for himself. Paul says, first, I thank my God. God is the one who found him on the road to Damascus and literally opened his eyes to see Jesus Christ for who he really is. Then says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. Paul thanks God for his own salvation. Paul now thanks God for the salvation of those members in the church at Rome. And because Paul now is so thankful, because he's so grateful, because he realizes God did not have to, but he did, his entire attitude now is one of gratitude. His entire attitude now is not one of complaining. His entire attitude now is not one of whining. Now the apostle Paul says, I thank my God for me. I thank my God for those who I'm writing to. Now his attitude is, now I get to actually train, raise up, cultivate, and teach those individuals in the church at Rome. This tells us something. Once we grow and we become more and more mature in our faith, our gratitude and our thankfulness goes up. Why? Because our, our eyes are less and less focused on the person in the mirror and they are more and more focused on God. And the more an individual 
looks at God and considers and contemplates what he has done, the list of things they are now thankful for exponentially grows. Someone who is, who is not saved or someone who is a superficial believer always has an incessant focus on themselves, always has an incessant focus on me. And when your worldview centers on the self, the list of things you have to complain about is always very, very long. Now you don't have an attitude of gratitude. Now you look at the world around you and find reasons to complain, find reasons to be dissatisfied. And now instead of saying, I get to serve God, now you grumble and say, do I have to? So Paul says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. Paul is thanking God for the people he gets to serve because Paul's entire posture in glorifying God is now serving God's people. Paul, for all intents and purposes, he was primarily an apostle and an evangelist, someone who was sent. But for all the churches that he would plant, he would, in the initial phases, act as the elder, act as the pastor, the under-shepherd for that church. And what now defines someone who's going to be a successful under-shepherd or pastor of a church is someone who actually cares about the people they are shepherding. There are plenty in church leadership who really don't care about the people they are serving. And guess what? The people can tell. And as a result, because the people, I mean, the people may be there for another reason. They may be there using that church or ministry as a means to get something else. But when you really have a positive, organic, spiritual unity in and amongst people, you not only have a people who are there to praise, glorify, and sit under the preaching and teaching of God's word, you also have, some, also have someone who's called by God, who actually cares about the spiritual growth and the people to whom they are teaching, they actually care about their spiritual, their psychological, and their intellectual development. So Paul right here in being thankful and praising God for that he gets to serve is actually now exposing the heart of a teacher, the heart of a genuine pastor. And he says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ, because without Christ, who is our mediator, there is no access to God. What is he thanking God for? He says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith. Paul is thanking God for the faith of the people in the church at Rome because those people in the church at Rome actually had genuine biblical faith. How do I know that? What do I mean by that? It was genuine biblical faith because it was being proclaimed throughout the entire world. Let's remember the historical context. Rome back then was polytheistic. 
They worshipped a multitude of gods, a god of this, a god of that. Rome, when Paul wrote this letter, it hadn't happened yet, but, but Rome would subsequently enter into an era where they would actually begin killing Christians. They'd bring them into the Circus Maximus and have animals literally eat them alive. Rome was a city that was, in general, becoming more and more hostile to people who had faith in Jesus Christ. So the fact that you had a people who had real biblical faith in Christ in Rome tells us something, that it was genuine faith, that it was genuine faith, trusting God no matter what in an environment that in general was hostile to faith, in an environment where if you were just like everyone else, you would not trust in Jesus Christ, you would trust in a multiplicity of other gods. What Paul is telling us here, church, is that real biblical faith advertises itself because it's faith that shines the brightest in the midst of darkness. It's faith that, that turns something on in the hearts and minds of people who actually see it as they are now curious and say, what is it that makes this man tick? What is it that makes this woman hold on to this Jesus no matter what when it would be so easy when using my natural eyes, the sensible thing to do would not to be in trust in God. This is why the faith of the Romans was being proclaimed throughout the entire world. Even more than that, God is an infinite source of hope. The ultimate object of our hope is God because he provides an infinite supply of hope. But let us not forget, church, other people are finite sources of hope. Paul, you can read Paul's encouragement when he hears about those in Rome because they actually had faith that was surviving under pressure, Paul is thankful and he's encouraged by their faith. And what he'll say in a couple of verses is that he's eager to go to the church and see the people. Why? Because when genuine Christians exhibit genuine faith, that picks other people up. When someone is not weary, when someone is not broken down, when someone, just a regular human being, stands like a rock, they may, they may look like granite on the outside, but they have a warm heart for God on the inside. When you see them bold and resilient in everyday life, that's going to encourage and exhort real, everyday people. Not only are Christians called to make God look good to the world who doesn't know Christ, Christians are also called to make God look good and encourage other Christians. This is one of the reasons why we have a church. So a fellowship of believers, when one, this is why we're a body, right? So if one elbow gets weak, the other elbow is still working. If the pinky toe gets broken, the big toe is still working, and that leg can still now bear weight and move forward. What will Paul end up saying in 2 Timothy 2.10? That I endure all things for what? For the sake of of the elect, knowing his life is not just about him. His life is about having the interests of the body of Christ, 
having God's people in mind. Not only making God look good to the world, for people who don't yet know God, but for those who are already in his church. So hope now flows from God, who's the infinite source of hope. That now gives a person individual hope and the, the resiliency, the, the faith, the hope they now express in everyday life is an encouragement to other people. And when they now see that in another flesh and bones person, what do they now end up doing? They say that hope did not come from them. It came from God. So it starts with God and it ends with God. Now, when Paul says their faith was being proclaimed throughout the entire world, that pro- he probably wasn't being literal. In that, the year is now 2019, and the gospel has not yet reached the entire world. So he's probably just using figurative language in saying that. Because Rome back then was the crossroads of the world, and you had individuals from nations, tribes, and tongues all over God's green earth, that because the gospel was being preached and taught in Rome, it was subsequently touching individuals from all across the planet. Because as I mentioned before, the fact that the gospel was being preached in Rome was a brilliant means of advertising the gospel to everybody everywhere in one geographic place. We're going to stop there because now we've ended verse number eight. And we'll just pick up with verse number nine starting next week. Now, before we close, are there any questions? Okay, let's pray. Precious Lord, we thank you for the time you have allowed us to sit under your word. And we invite you, Divine Spirit, to water the seed planted in our minds, to illuminate our understanding, to grow us and to mature us. As we know, O Lord, the righteous will live by his faith, the righteous will live by her faith. We entreat you to refine, to augment, and to increase our faith that we, O Lord, may not only testify by our lives to your magnificence and glory, but we will also be an encouragement to all those brothers and sisters in Christ around us. In the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more valuable resources, including a bookstore and online Bible study, visit wcsk.org.